from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome, everybody. It's the Wow Report on Radio Andy coming to you almost live from different parts of Southern California. I am Tom Campbell, uh, Chief Creative Officer at World of Wonder, your host today because our fearless leader, Fenton Bailey, is out on assignment or out on vacation, whatever whatever comes first. Uh, joining uh, me this week, who's here every week, come rain or shine, no matter how many times we ask him, please take a week off. It's mm-hmm. our uh, club kid turned bestselling author and the editor of The Wow Report, James C. James. That's me! Yay! Yay! Blake is here behind the scenes, ready to pop in at any moment, but we have an extra special... Oh, he just popped in. Uh, Our extra special guest is Seth Abramovich. He is uh, an incredible reporter. In fact, he just won the uh, Southern California Print Journalist of the Year Award. But who's counting? That's fantastic. (laughs) Seth does does all the great interviews in The Hollywood Reporter. Maybe it's just because I'm gay. and I don't know. I just presume Seth might go both ways. But uh, he, he always talks to really interesting people about really interesting stuff. He's yeah, really no, as a matter of fact, was this um, for one specific article or article that you did, or was it just because you've been on fire for the past year and you've been firing at all four cylinders that you got um, the award? Well, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but there were two awards. One was ah. for the Shelley Duvall story. Yes. And then, and then the of the year was for like a body of, of work. So that included. Well, congrats. It's really exciting because, you know, you have been, like I said, just been, you're, you're going on all four cylinders. Everything you do lately has just been fire. It, you are amazing. And we love having you here. Oh, my so you're God. Not just a, you're not just a winner. You're a winner, winner, chicken dinner. That's fantastic. <laughs> two, two, two wins. And it's so weird that, you know, this is the point in your, in your behind the music thing where it's like Seth's career was on fire. And then. <laughs> And, uh, and then everything <laughs> fell apart when he went on the wall. I hope not. I hope time. not. Hopefully not. Uh, all right. Every week we get together and count down the top 10 things that made us go, wow. wow. And uh, let's kick right in at number 10. Number 10. Uh, because we never talk about drag race on the show. Am I right? We just never talk about it. Um, it's, it's a forgotten there, subject here at WOW. Yes. The, <laughs> you know, we're in the middle of All-Stars 7, the All-Winners All-Stars. Uh, where there are no eliminations, the eight eight previous winners are there. It's being received quite well. Seth, are you watching? Yes, I've been watching uh, religiously every week, and I'm very into it. Now, there's no eliminations. Are you okay with that? Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. Like, I mean, why get rid of them? They're all amazing. They all do bring amazing looks and different points of view. So yes. I'm into it. I've been they really enjoying been- it bringing it every the fashion everything i i hate to pay play favorites i really i mean i'm not allowed to but i've got to say that watching raja just rise to every challenge her looks have just been so amazing and it's so fun for me to see her because you know we see her on tutor and boot it and she's you know she's always got an opinion about other people's outfits but to see her just really dominate every single look it's just fabulous it is I mean, yeah. she's, she's she won season three so she's the one who has uh, a whole new audience that's discovering her and that's really a joy of this yeah. as well yeah exactly yeah and speaking Jinx, of old yeah. people um i i came up with uh this past week's lip sync for your life which um was the classic scene from designing women where Dixie <laughs> Carter defends... I knew that had to be you. I was designing women lip sync, and I'm thinking, that's not Theron. I know that it's it has, it has 
set the internet on fire. It's the first ever spoken word. It was performed by Monet Exchange and Jinx Monsoon. I won't say who won, but they both did a kick-ass job. If you've never seen it, this, you have to look up Designing Women the Night the Lights Went Out in Georgia and watch Dixie Carter, who was a Republican, but her character in real life, but her character was this super liberal uh, a character. And so she would go on these incredible rants written by Linda Bloodworth Thomas, who wrote Designing Women, and, and, and eviscerate um, yeah. prejudice and, 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 and conservative thinking. Um, it's an amazing lip sync. People uh, online are now suggesting other spoken word lip syncs. And I have to say, a lot of them, I don't want to do one where, and I love uh, Tiffany Pollard, but I don't want to do one where New York, you know, rips Gemma Collins, a, a new asshole on. Uh, no, it's got to be like Mommy Dearest or, or something like that. You've got, you've yes. got to dig back into the, the well of pop culture. And I really, the person to um, pay tribute to who did this better than anyone that spoke word was is Lipsinka, who is still oh, around. Yeah. Yes. Lipsinka used to do this thing where it's like the phone would ring and she would do like a right. Right. you know a five second like what's going on Lipsinka and the phone would ring and she would do another. So I'm I'm wondering if Lipsinka would sue us or celebrate us or if we can fly her out here. I want to do that next season. She could mentor the kids on how to do that type of spoken word. Yeah. That would be fun. Um, and I just have to say, because I don't have children, and so I probably am never going to have grandchildren, but in 1987, in West Hollywood, in the re- original Revolver Bar, which was a video bar, which was all the rage at the time, and it's the only kind of bar I dare go to, because instead of standing around looking at other people not looking at you, you could look at the video, and on Tuesday nights, it was comedy night, and they would just play com- you know, stand-up comedy and comedy clips, 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 gay, gay, gay. And inevitably, every night, they would play The Night the Lights Went Out in Georgia from Designing Women. And every gay would stand and in unison say that entire thing. So the idea <laughs> that that was 35 years ago. And I just assume everyone knows it. And, of course, they don't. So to be able to, like, sort of have my my grandchildren in my, my in my deluded mind sitting around listening to Dixie Carter, you know, talk about and that my that Marjorie, so you know, and so your children will one day know is the night the lights went out in Georgia. <laughs> the Daily Beast wrote it up. They said it was a, a, a game changer. They said it was the gayest thing that's ever happened on television. And for that, <laughs> you know, se- secret truth, I do you know, read everything on Hollywood Reporter. Daily Beast is subscription, and I don't, so I had to have somebody cut and paste it for me. But uh, I, uh, I might have to <laughs> drop them a few bucks to, after well, that. Hollywood, Hollywood Reporter is still free. I know, and I read it. I read it every day. Um, Well, I just wanted to, 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 you know, give that some context and and how thrilled we are with All Stars in general, uh, which is playing on Paramount Plus. New episodes released every Friday. Um, All right, that was number 10. Let's move on to number nine. Number nine. I wanted to give a shout out to uh, Days of Our Lives Beyond Salem, uh, the streaming show on Peacock Network, which is really sort of interesting. It's a little so experiment that they've been doing. It's um, it's an offshoot of the main soap opera, the offshoot of Days of Our Lives. And it is five sort of self-contained episodes with a beginning, middle, and end. So it, and it what it does is it brings in like fan favorite stars from the show and they have adventures outside of Salem, outside of the fictional town of Salem. And they get to bring back old stars of the show who have left the soap opera and who want to come back 
for the fans, but they don't want to commit to like a six month or a year long contract or other times. A lot of times when they bring in old characters, it'll be like for Christmas or a funeral or a wedding. And they have like one or two lines and it's just not worth it for the actors. So this is a way for, for some actors to come back to the show who have said they are never coming back to the show, like Bo and Hope who were on the show in the eighties, nineties, two thousands. And they've both left and said they were never coming back to days of our lives ever, ever, ever. They were sick of it, but they've been talked to come back for these five episodes. And Bo is an angel in heaven looking down on his wife, Hope. And she's, you know, living in uh, Montreal and blah, blah, blah. The really fun storyline of this one though and it has a wow connection which is what i'm getting to is that <laughs> um drake hogeston who plays john black and john black is uh has been on the show since the 80s and he's a manly man and he is the hero of the show and he's with dr marlena evans and he has a gay son on the show paul Narita, who is played by christopher sean the really hot, hot Asian actor. He's so gorgeous. He's in You. He was in Hawaii Five O. He does a Star Wars cartoon. He's really anyway. So Paul is gay on the show, and the show opens up with um, John Black visiting Paul in San Francisco, and he's at like a muscle part, a Queen party. It's Pride, and John Black is in a rainbow muscle tee. He's like this old man. He's got glitter in his hair. He's doing shots with all these muscle queens in like in like short shorts. And Paul Narita is his his um son is there with his shirt off, and they're all dancing and to this in like this muscle rave like scene. And it's just hysterical to see this really straight, straight, straight actor, straight guy getting down with the queens and it's very funny but the dj is tony moore our tony moore yes who worked at world of wonder for years and years and years suddenly all of a sudden the camera pans over to the dj he's in a, like a pink sequin thing he's like miss thing miss girl and he's like and then he's like starts flirting with john black he's like yo silver daddy get over here give me a kiss and it's Tony, and it is the funniest thing to see. And Tony has been texting me, and and you know on Twitter we've been going back and forth talking about it. And he says this is a dream come true that he's been watching Days of Our Lives since he was five years old, and now he's the gay DJ on the show. Tony Moore is the hardest working, best connected person in Hollywood. He should write a it's book. True, it's as true. he's worked at World of Wonder, I'm sure he's worked everywhere else. He's on audience warm up. Yes, you know, in fact, like, he, that's how he first came to World of Wonder is we hired him like at the Christmas show or something like yeah. that to warm up the audience to our Christmas party. We'll be, we have a, a show with uh, a Tabitha Brown that's on Food Journal and we, we put out, you know, like you always do casting for people who are picky eaters. Tony Moore is on the tape. It's like he's everywhere, but that's how you make it in this business. You keep trying yes. to knock on doors. Yeah, so anyway, so um, Beyond Salem, Days for All Lives Beyond Salem is streaming on Peacock, and it is worth the $4.99. I got a subscription just to watch uh, Tony Moore and, and John Black in a Pride t-shirt. All right, let's move on now to number eight. Number eight. Okay, so number eight is my selection, and um, it's the new Thor movie, Thor Love and Thunder. Now, wait, wait, I, I want to point out that Seth wanted to distance himself from our selections. He's like, I had nothing to do with stories. Now I'm going to talk about something you really care about. Thank you, Tucky. <laughs> That's not what I meant. Maybe a little. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I saw that. Have you seen the trailer? Because the trailer kind of excited me in a way that most Marvel movies don't. But it looked campy, and I, I definitely got a Flash Gordon vibe out of it. And suddenly, well, that's interesting. You should say that. I yeah. I you know because I'm not a big Marvel fan for the most part, but Thor Ragnarok really was a spectacular, fantastic movie, and I think it's due to Taika Watiti, who is just yeah. can do no wrong in my eyes. I didn't really like it very much. I, I thought it, it kind of was not great, but really? um, yeah, it just I don't know. I, I just I, everyone was kind of phoning it in, and it just it felt a little dead, like to me. Oh, and also, it's that thing like you know, like uh, uh, Flash Gordon didn't know it was ridiculous, and that's right. sort of like one of the things that makes camp work. And this was like very cheeky; everything was like a little joke, and it kind of got a little grating after a while. Well, that's the but problem with Marvel, I think, altogether is it's too self-referential. It tries too hard to be camp, like what you were saying. Yeah, I was excited to see Chris Hemsworth's um, butt. Right? Was yeah, that exciting? You know, Isn't that the takeaway? Feel my question. Feel my question. Talk about the ass, please. <laughs> he he looks great. I mean, he always looked great. And Natalie Portman got all buff for it as well. Um, but um, what? Why I even bring it up is because um, there's an interesting uh, kind of debate going on on Twitter. And one is that they kind of pitched it as like the gayest Thor ever, and there's really like hardly any gay content in it whatsoever. And um, the other is that. They were kind of making, you know, the Taika Waititi was making fun of the, the CGI in a video on Vanity Fair. And it went viral because CGI and particularly Marvel CGI artists are very overworked and underpaid. And they felt insulted by the way he was laughing at, like, the CGI in this shot. Um, so, um, so I guess I just was, uh, I thought that was interesting that um, those, those sort of complaints are starting to bubble up around. Well, but how was because I I heard that um, uh, it's Christian Bale right is the is the evil he's guy the right yeah yeah and how is he? He's good yeah yeah you know I mean he's he's an amazing actor but and what about Melissa McCarthy because we're gonna be talking about Melissa in a little bit because I love Melissa was she was she a moment of levity? Well, she has like a kind of surprise cameo. She's not billed, is she? I don't think so, but I've heard that she sort of steals the show a little bit. Well, she, I think she plays the Kate Blanchett part because it's sort of like a like a, a little play where they recreate what happened in the in the first few, oh, right? And yeah. So, and so she looks kind of silly in the in the Kate Blanchett costume or whoever that villain was. But the, the biggest laugh actually came during that part, but I don't think it was intentional because the camera pulls back and Ben Falcone is standing next to her. And it, they don't really explain why or what he's doing. There. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and that got a big belly laugh out of me, but I don't think that was intentional. So you're saying that this is because I was maybe going to see it this weekend. I don't need to. It, it was a bit of a chore to get through. And, and I think that they're kind of on a downswing. Like, I think the Doctor Strange was disappointing to fans and Eternals disappointed. And I think I'm not a Marvel guy, but from what I hear from my friends who are into that world, that they're kind of re hitting a creative uh, bumps. I can see that. I totally can see that. I haven't seen a Marvel. I mean, I think Ragnarok was the last one I saw. I stopped when the Thanos, Thanatos, or whatever with the mm -hmm. crystals mm -hmm. and everyone disappeared. I after I never followed up on any of it. 
Well, they're just making so many, you know, that I, I don't know how you... I don't, I mean, the world's a different place, but, like, every sort of genres of movies sort of come and go, but it feels like superhero, you know, comic book books, they keep making more and more and more, and I'm confused by the whole thing, but I'm just... Well, but, you know, by the same token, some of the, the best stuff on television right now is, as I've said last week, is The Umbrella Academy and The Boys. I think those are the two shows that are sort of reinventing the genre, and they're doing it in a way that feels fresh and new, whereas some of the stuff on the big screen just feels recycled. Yep. Very good. All right. Well, that is uh, Thor, Love and Thunder. It's in the theaters. Go if you dare, I think is what Seth's saying. Go if you dare. <laughs> um, we are going to take a little break before we do. I want to talk to Blake. Is there anything to plug, Blake? RuPaul's Drag Race, All Stars 7 on Paramount Plus, Friday nights. Um, I have a question, too. What show features the longest-running LGBTQ character in TV history? Hint, it's still on the air now. Excellent question. We'll We'll have the answer to that. Plus, uh, we'll continue our countdown of the top 10 things that made us go wow right after this message. This is the Wow Report on Radio Andy. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. We're back. It's the Wow Report on Radio Andy. It's Tom Campbell here with James St. James. Blake is here. And Seth Abramovich from The Hollywood Reporter is joining us. Uh, Fenton's away, but he'll be back soon. Uh, before the break, uh, Blake asks a very intriguing trivia question. Please repeat it. What show features the longest-running LGBTQ character in TV history? I mean, is it someone from, like, Coronation Street or, or like, a soap opera or something? Like... Like what? What could it be? I'm gonna guess NCIS because I've never seen that show. Uh-huh. I guess I'm gonna go with you on that too. I was thinking one of those big long CBSE things, and there's some quirky lesbian in the lab or something. Okay, what is it, Blake? Grey's Anatomy. Oh, it's only been on for 52 years. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're. Uh, Back in our countdown as we explore the top 10 things that made us go wow this week, we have reached number seven. Number seven. I am watching season two, four episodes in, of Only Murderers in the Building. In the age of streaming and things getting made, I think so quickly and being second seasons being greenlit, sophomore year, very nerve-wracking. Will it be good? Will it be bad? And the first episode, I wasn't sure as always, but they've done a great job. There's a new mystery, um, and and it unfolds, and they're tying in lots of things. They're opening it up. I feel like I have entrusted uh, my dis- my suspension of disbelief to really good storytellers and really good actors. And Shirley MacLaine is in this season, right? And yes. Cameos. Shirley MacLaine, who, by the way, God bless Shirley MacLaine. I know she listens. Um, uh, uh, she, you know, Downton Abbey, not the best use of her. When she's that Downton no, Abbey. No, no. She's so well used. Again, I just think like she's in the hands of creative people and she's this cranky character, somebody's mother. I won't give away the plot. And she is quite uh, wonderful in it. There's lots of cameos. Amy Schumer moved into the penthouse because Sting moved out. And now Amy Schumer lives there. Again, just <laughs> stupid things that make it really funny. And just to be really superficial for a moment, um, Selena Gomez's hair and wardrobe <laughs> make me consider just dressing yeah. as a woman from now on. 
because it's it, it's exquisite. Yeah, I hope it's nominated for an Emmy. We'll get to that later, but it's just it's gorgeous. She's beautiful. You know, I didn't watch Witchers of Waverly Place. I've listened to Selena Gomez music, but I'm not like in the zeitgeist. She always seemed like she complained a lot to me. There, I said it. I know she's been through a lot now, but she is dry and droll and gorgeous to look at in this. And it's the, it's the perfect. You know, it's always mixing the old man with the young woman, but there's no romance. But so it's it's just the the perfect uh, combination. And I'm four in. And I'd, I'd be I would have been to the whole thing in one night. If, uh, if they'd been dropped, but uh, more to, I, more to be done. I should shout out John Hoffman as the the executive producer, and he's a friend of mine, and he's so awesome, nicest guy you'll ever meet, and um, and he's doing such an amazing job with it. I'm so happy for him. He really is. It's really well. It's just it's well crafted and well acted, and it's beautiful. I read something about you know the the building they use for the facade is one building, and and I don't know where it is, but there's another building that it's kind of. Uh, it's modeled after, it, which it, which is on Broadway, or uh, yeah, I think it's on Broadway up like. I the, thought it was supposed to be the Dakotas. What it was? Wasn't no, that? it's a different. It's a different building. But they were talking about how the because because there's there's a whole now what they've started to unravel in the second season that there's an an architect who made the building a long time ago, put in secret secret passageways, and who's kind of pervy, and so there there's and there was a murder around it, so they're they're playing up all of that, and so it's sort of picked from the lore of this one other building, and and I was reading about it in Vanity Fair, and the other claim to fame of this building where there was murder and architect and secret passages, it's it downstairs in the seventies when it was in ill repair, it housed the Continental Baths, oh. which. Was the gay bath? Well, that's the Barbizon building. Is that it? Yeah, that's where Michelle Visage lived when she first came to town. I didn't know above that. the above the Continental Baths. Yeah, and the Continental Baths, of course, were where Bette Midler were, were the gay bathhouse where, where Bette Midler and Barry Manilow got their uh, start and all that kind of stuff. I love anything that makes New York kind of fairy tale-y and secret and like remember yeah. Beauty and the Beast with. Uh, Yes, Linda I Hamilton, love that. The series, yes. Where there was a whole underground world underneath New York. Yeah. I love that stuff. All the mole men lore and all that, yeah. yes. Yes. So we're going <laughs> to move on to number six, James. Number six. I wanted to talk about God's Favorite Idiot on Netflix, which is a series starring Melissa McCarthy that we were just talking about written and also starring Ben Falcone, her husband. Okay. And the thing is, I love Melissa McCarthy. I think she, I, I, some of my favorite shows on earth, when I think of uh, Thunder Force, um, Life of the Party, Happy Time Murder, Spy, Tammy, Bridesmaids, Gilmore Girls, all of that, I'm right there for her. But sometimes she's a little self-indulgent and some stuff doesn't work. And this is, the story is Ben Falcone is this sort of hapless everyman who gets struck by lightning and he begins to glow. And it comes to light that he is God's messenger on earth and he has been chosen by God to spread the word. And all of a sudden, like the people in his office building start following him like sort of Christ's followers, the disciples. And then Satan comes along and she's like this biker chicken. She's trying to kill him. And then God appears and he, she's like this hapless, like sort of grandmother, like on a baking show in England. And she sort of gives like these vague advice that doesn't really mean anything. And so Melissa McCarthy is this sort of coke snorting, 
day drinking, uh, pill popping, wild party girl who then is like a force for God. It's very, it's it's very odd, and I can't quite figure it out. And I've watched all eight episodes. But the problem is, is that Ben Falcone is not the star that, that that Melissa seems to think he is because he can't carry a whole show. He doesn't have the star power. And it's very strange that they've built the show about this sort of schlubby everyman. And he just, it's, you're just James, waiting for we have Melissa on the phone. Can we put Melissa McCarthy <laughs> through to James? She wants to talk to you about this. Would you watch this show, Seth? No. <laughs> no. I mean, I already brought up in the Thor thing that I thought it was weird he was there. Like, I don't really understand their creative partnership. Exactly. And it feels, so much of it feels like they're just riffing. Like they are just given a scene and they say go and they just sort of improvise. And that's, sometimes it works like in Tammy or Spy or Life of the Party bridesmaids just let her go but sometimes it just doesn't work and i don't think it works for this well i think it works for them you know and i would never judge that great yeah i i don't want to sound a lot smarter than both of you but (laughs) i know that from watching xanadu starring olivia newton john and watching two of a kind starring olivia newton john and john travolta that any plot that has god and earth and people pretty much not a good movie don't do it living and, and that, this tries to reconcile the jewish faith and the muslim faith and the christian faith because there's different characters that all have different religions and they all end up following this character and it's weird that they're sort of like trying to appeal to some sort of right-wing america maybe i read you know I, I don't I don't quite understand what the pitch was for this at all and who they thought they were going to appeal to but they seem to have this wonderful deal with Netflix because they keep pumping out more. And Melissa McCarthy has a movie or a series coming out every six months. Well, that was so. the old Netflix. We'll see the new tight belt and or belt tightened uh, Netflix if that kind of stuff keeps being made. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Let's move on. All right. Very exciting. We're moving on to number five. Seth. Number five. All right. Number five. Now something we loved. Moulin Rouge the musical. And yes. it's only taken me three years to see it, what with, you know, living in L.A. and then the pandemic. But it finally came here and it's at the Pantages and it's a beautiful yes. marriage of theater and o- over the top production because the theaters are already over the top and they look like they were all built on the same vision. And um, I didn't know what to expect. You know, I, I like the movie. You know, it's a, it's a classic, but I, I and it just blew me away. I could not believe how much talent was on that stage. I was like kind of dumbfounded at moments where you felt like you were just seeing the best people, but they make it look so easy. And there's like 60 different pop songs in it. Your head will spin. And they do kind of get you dizzy in that falling in love way, which is, I think, the point of all of the over the top nets is to like make you feel like you're falling in love. And and they do. And they work so hard. And anyway, if you're anywhere near the Pantages, and it's also traveling around the country, go see this Moulin Rouge. And I hear this this traveling uh, cast, it, it measures up to the Broadway cast. So you're well, not missing it's out. Funny I saw the Broadway show. Uh, Fenton and I went to go see it in New York. And it was when Sebastian Stan was in the Ewan McGregor role. And I 
went into it with zero expectations like you. I um I like the movie. The movie's okay, but it's not my favorite Baz Luhrmann. But I was blown away by the like you said, the, just the dizzying talent. And I don't like jukebox musicals. I hate them. I loathe them on principle. This one really got me going. And I was stand, standing on my feet cheering. I was just in rapture the whole time. I thought it's absolutely spectacular. And I agree with you. It's a great way to spend the night. Go see, go to Pantages. I saw it in New York, original cast. I thought it was a little overwhelming, but maybe I'd been up late. But I, I did enjoy it, and it did inspire Moulin Rouge. So for that, I will be forever grateful. <laughs> Always bringing it back. Always oh, working for that paycheck, oh, girl. Back to the subject at hand. This well, they did kind of miss the uh, the fairy. I, I thought Willow was a better fairy than they did in, in the bra- in the musical. Seth, that's all yeah. I needed to hear. Ours was better. <laughs> Thank you, Seth. That's all. I, that's why we brought you here. You can leave now. We're good. we're done with you. Thank you very much. All right. Um, we're about to take a break. Before we do. You know, Blake always has something to share. What you got? Uh, well, RuPaul's Drag Race. Again, we've got Drag Race Down Under. Premieres July 30th on WoW Presents Plus Worldwide, excluding Canada, UK, and Down Under, where you can see it on TVNZ in New Zealand and Stan in Australia. And they call it TVNZ, just for, 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 for our... Well, uh, this is an American show, so we say Z. Okay, okay well, I travel around the world, so... <laughs> Um, I have a question, too. Who was the first Black openly gay actor to win an Emmy? Because Emmy Awards were just announced. That's right. That's fun. All right. Good question. We'll have the answer to that. Plus, continue our countdown of the top 10 things that made us go wow this week. It's a wow report on Radio Andy. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report on Radio Andy. I'm Tom Campbell here with James St. James, Blake Jacobs, and our extra special uh, guest, Seth Abramowitz. Uh, the wonderful Fenton Bailey is away, but we'll be back. Um, before we took a break, Blake asked us this, asked us this intriguing trivia question. Who was the first Black openly gay actor to win an Emmy? I'm going to be stupid and self-referential and say RuPaul. Oh, that's a good one. I'm going to say Robert Guillaume because he popped in my head and I know he's not gay, but I want to give him a shout out. Robert Guillaume. Ben okay. It was Billy Porter. Oh, for oh. the love of porn. Of course. You Wait, why would he get a, what was, oh, for Pose. For pose, yeah. We have reached number four. Number four. James, you already talked about this a lot on a previous show, but I finally got to see Boz Lerman's Elvis. I, I hope I know it. where you're going with this. You had better be blown I've away. I've talked about it with somebody. Seth, have you seen Elvis the movie? Yep. Um, um, I'm not, I haven't seen every Boz Lerman thing. It, it, you know, it's that, it's everything you're, I'm going to repeat what you said, but it's the, every, it is a fever dream of images that, uh, that exhaust you. Yes. Um, I realized afterwards the actor's amazing who plays Elvis. Yes. I I, mean, I I learned nothing new about Elvis, zero. No. No. And to a certain extent, they well, first they kind of did this retrofitting of him being a black hero, which maybe he is, but it seems it felt a little heavy handed that, that that his his heritage to black history didn't really talk about his country. And here's a funny thing I saw on TikTok because I like to read is um 
it was an interview with Priscilla Presley just a year or two after Elvis died with Barbara Walters interviewing. And, and Priscilla was like, he beat me. You know, he threw things at me. Like it was kind of the ugly, dirty underpinnings of what it was like to be with Elvis. None of that appears in this movie. No. Not that it has to, but it doesn't. And, and, and they completely whitewashed the fact that she was like 14 when he when he right, first which, started. And it's yeah. another time and I get all that. And, you know, you can't tell everything, but there was fun. And also like, and the other problem with Elvis is he's such a, he's a, he's a classic drug addict. So it's like, there's not, it's so depressing to follow that trajectory and to get really into it. But I love sort of the, the worst you see of his womanizing is like him in a room with like a couple of women in like, beige bras like oh he's crazy um but um, but but the takeaway though is that you have to like you have to bow down to austin butler's portrayal absolutely just, absolutely he's absolutely spectacular and you have to walk away saying what a horrible piece of what an idiot performance by tom hanks oh, wait a minute, hold on oh, we have rita wilson on the phone james who's like taking us the call from rita wilson oh she hung up um um <laughs> One other thing I was going to say is like what what Priscilla Presley has done, what she smartly did at one point was like, oh, because, you know, Priscilla and and Lisa Marie, they endorsed this movie heavily. They're like, this is great because it cleans it all up because Priscilla was smart at one point to think like my paycheck, my meal ticket, my is to make. Elvis's legacy, we were always in love. We were loved forever. You know, it's like he loves me today. He loved Lisa Marie. He was a great father, even in spite of. Dot, dot, dot. So th- and that's, they're, they're right. And we love myth and legend more than we love the truth. So God bless it to them. But what I realized, and maybe you said this, James, but it may have been my own thought, is that Boz Lerman is the colonel. Oh. Because it's, it's really, what you find out is that it's so much about the colonel, and you really want to be more about Elvis. And, a, and then the colonels play with Tom Hanks in a really over-the-top uh, scene-stealing kind of uh, uh, things. But you realize that Boz Lerman is the showman, is the huckster, is the guy who will is say and do anything yeah. to make you fall in love. Make it into one. Seth, our guest who we don't let talk, what did you think of uh, <laughs> of the Elvis movie? I loved it. <laughs> yeah. I, was totally oh, right. I love it. Great of opinion. Go, 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 go. I just, I mean, I... Again, I didn't go in with huge expectations, but I've always had a thing for Elvis. And a lot of it had to do with that 68 comeback special when I saw it when he came out in that like all black leather outfit. It just did something to me. And and they spend a lot of time on on the taping of that special. That's the one time that the movie kind of pauses. Austin's ass in those black leather pants. Yeah, his performance was amazing. And, you know, just like, you know, the, 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 um, Moulin Rouge, it's it's excess and um, it's visual overstimulation and auditory overstimulation. But I was feeling it. I was, I mean, no one else is really giving Elvis his props right now. So I was like, if Boz wants to give him two and a half hours of of love, then I'm there for it. Yeah, it's interesting to me though that, like I said, that I've never understood fat Elvis in the white pantsuit, the sweaty pompadour, and all that. I never understood why women were still creaming their panties over that. But in this movie, I was with Elvis every step of the way so that by the time he's fat Elvis in the white pantsuit, I was still loving him so much. I really understood fat Elvis in the 70s. Um, We're moving on now to number three. Number three. Number three. This is a podcast that I want to do just by myself every week. I want to talk about characters who should be gay but aren't. 
and I don't quite understand the reasoning behind it. The classic for me is Chandler on Friends. Right. It would have made so much more sense if they were all just allowed Chandler to be gay. Instead of having him and Monica, he could have explored the thing with Joey. He would have been the finger-snapping gay best friend who's all uptight and everything like that. It just makes sense. Fra- Niles on Frasier should have been gay. There was no reason on earth to make him this horn dog, lady chasing, you know, persnickety like queen. Like it just it made no sense. Um uh I'm also thinking Rajesh and Howard on the Big Bang Theory. Just let the two fuck. Just let them go and be boyfriends. Like why on earth can these characters not be gay? Um the main one that you see online all the time is Elsa from Frozen. Like, why could she not be a queer hero? Um, Wonder Woman, why could she not be queer? Robin in Batman and Robin should be gay. Um, we got to sell like, stuff to China. We got to sell stuff to China, James. The Chinese people, they hate the gays. They hate the it's, gays. It's Cultural thing. You know, like, going back, like, you think, like, the odd couple, Felix and Oscar, should have been a queer couple. They just should have been. Right, well, that's all the queer I, coding that we grew up with. Uncle Arthur on Bewitched. It's like everything there was there. We still existed, but we were we couldn't be spoken about out loud. Well, that that's just it. Like you think of like Tennessee Williams plays or like um, <laughs> Breakfast at Tiffany's, where the, the Paul character had a sugar mama. Like, no, he should have been a hustler. He should have had a sugar daddy. You know, like Blanche Dubois should have been a drag queen. I put like Roman Spring of Mrs. Stone and have like Cheyenne Jackson do it. Instead now you're of, talking. Uh, yeah. I um it's funny because I there was a show Teen Wolf. I don't know if you guys watched Teen Wolf a few years ago. And yeah, that launched Dylan O'Brien. Yes. Right. And the thing yeah. is, in the first few seasons, it was very weirdly uncomfortable to watch because Dylan O'Brien and Tyler Posey had such strong sexual chemistry that it was distracting and you just after every scene you just wanted to say boys go get a hotel room and the stands and the shippers started getting in the way of telling the story and they had to sort of separate the characters because they even though their actors were straightish or whatever they the characters just coded as queer and it they they started getting irritated with it and they had to take the show in different directions because it was just so obvious that these two boys want these two characters should be fucking and it just it happens more than you think and it's just it's fascinating to me and i just want to talk about it are there any characters set that you can think of who should have been gay well i'm trying to think of something on tv now or that there's someone that should be gay. Because those are all like, you know, like we were saying, it was the times and you couldn't really put a gay character on TV. But now there's really no right. excuse not to. Well, on Hacks, everybody is non-binary and and, 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 right. and lesbian. And so it, like, it's the other way. Marta Kaufman recently came forward and apologized that she didn't, that she mis, uh, dead named a transgender character played by Kathleen Turner and, and apologized for the lack of an act, uh, for a lack of, of black actors and, and said, I did, I, I know better now than I did them, which I think is a, just, I think donated a lot of money to uh, a college to help uh, black emerging artists. But, you know, that's a nice way of trying to make up a little bit for the past. No, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was yeah. cool that they had the character. I, I don't remember exactly how they did it, but it, you know, it, it was a long time ago. 
I, I mean, that's the weird thing about progress, and this is going to get me canceled, but progress is progress, and it, it doesn't open like a full rose. You get weird little bits and pieces that kind of pave the, the road for the openness that we have today, and hopefully we'll, you know, uh, Bill, Maher says, Bill Maher says it uh, with cynicism, but I think if you look back in 20 years to today, you'll think like, oh, my God, I can't believe I said that or did that, but, you know, hopefully we're all trying to do the best we can, trying, learning, opening our minds. All right. Now that I've lost James's attention entirely. <laughs> no, I thought he was frozen. He just gave up. No, I was waiting for you to, to plug drag race and somehow tie that into this. Well, I was thinking that it'd be interesting if Michelle Vassange were okay. Okay. Uh, moving on to number two. Seth. Number two. Number two. It's on everyone's lips. You can't avoid it this week. Funny girl gate. I mean, what a juicy old school Broadway scandal to sink our teeth into, isn't it? What do, what do you guys make of Beanie Feldstein? Well, tell, give Beanie us the backstory because I've been following it on Twitter, but I just feel like our, our listeners need to understand everything, all the wheels that are working. All right. This. I'll try to compress this. But basically, Beanie Feldstein, who became very successful in movies like Booksmart, um, w- was announced as the star of the first official remounting of Funny Girl since the original 1964 production, which made a star out of Barbara Streisand. Fill in the blank. Barbara Streisand, yeah. legendary uh, show, legendary performance that made her the superstar that she is. Now, from what I hear, the reason they didn't re- remount it is because it's a little creaky. It's not the best play, but. You know, it has all these numbers that everyone knows, like people and don't rate in my parade and all these things. Um, so the show opened and everyone was looking to see the reviews and the reviews were horrible. They said Beanie couldn't really sing. She couldn't hit and, the notes. And they tried to like reimagine Fanny Bryce with Beanie. There was a conscious choice, I think, to like not do a Barbara clone, to do go a different direction, if you will. And you saw yeah. it, Tom, and you hated it. Did you see right? it, Seth? <laughs> no, I haven't. Did you see it? it? I did see it, and I said with love that I thought ultimately that that casting risk she was probably she was miscast because it, it, and, and it's it, because of the movie especially it's hard to it's hard not to compare that those performances and those songs to the sounds of Barbara Streisand and Beanie was no way a classical Broadway actress or or verbal she did a nice job she's likable I think she'll be continue to be a huge star not necessarily the best vehicle for her. But now the problem is all of a sudden enter Leah Michelle from Glee, right. who had been trying trying to get the role for about ten years. Everybody loathes her. So then what happens? So it, yeah, it was a subplot on Glee that she wanted to be in Funny Girl, and um, and then I believe they tried to mount it with her with Ryan Murphy involved, and that fell apart. So. You know, there's a lot of sort of like wondering about timing, but bottom line, you know, Beanie was asked not to to reprise the role or to to keep on with the show. And Leah Michelle quietly signed a, a deal to replace her. And what Beanie did was once she found out about that, she she said, I'm leaving early. And she made an announcement on Instagram that they're going in a different direction and, and I'm I'm gonna bow out. And so she's leaving in July. So she still has to do some performance, very awkward performances. And then there's gonna be an understudy. And then uh, in September, uh, Leah Michelle is gonna uh, take over. And then uh, uh, her co-star, uh, Jane Lynch, is currently playing the mother to Beanie and she's 
leaving three weeks early now and being replaced by Tova Feldsha. And so people are saying, oh, she doesn't like, she doesn't want to work with Leah Michelle. It does look suspicious. But she put out a statement saying, no, I love Leah. And I, it just seemed like the right time to leave. I'd let a new cast come in. So that's, no. the, that's all the gossip. But there is a classic clip from Glee, a show I never watched, that I've seen a clip of uh, where Leah Michelle starts to sing like, don't rain on my parade, or like, I'm the greatest star. And the Sue Sylvester, the character played by, uh, what's her name? Jane Lynch. Jane Lynch. Jane Lynch gets up and leaves during the performance. And that's what <laughs> everyone's been showing. So it's just Jane Lynch shading in character, shading. Well, but, but and the thing is, I mean, it's doomed. It's, it feels, the whole production feels doomed from the beginning because I feel like the minute she starts, like she's she's even more doomed than Beanie was. I think uh, supposedly ticket sales are up and they're higher for Leah Michelle. It might just be a short stunt kind of thing, but I think she can do the part. And I think um, I think it's like oh, Valley of the Dolls come to life. I feel like I know all about running the play contracts. Well, um, but if you're trying to get away from Barbara's performance, isn't Leah Michelle going to just be channeling Barbara? I don't know that and- was a good idea. I think they should. I think they should have gone more dead on. And by the way, this should turn into Chicago, and they should just replace that role with like with like <laughs> Cynthia Erivo, like just like like Pamela Anderson. You know, anybody can do it. You know, uh, Gene Smart is. She's 35, by the way, and Barbara was 22. Like, she's not really a girl anymore. So that's another factor you want to weigh right, into the whole thing. Right, But she can sing. We know she has pipes. And um, uh, I don't know. I'm kind of curious. And, I, you know, everyone piled on her in 2020, you know, when she, it was during George yeah. Floyd and Black Lives Matter, and she tweeted support. And then this girl that was on the show um, accused her of sort of sideways racism, but more like, bullying on the set and then other people on the show piled on and it, it people clearly she did not behave well on glee but it also seemed a little sadistic i don't know so i'm a kind of an underdog person i'm i, I i'm hope, wishing the best for her and i think beanie will continue to have a, a, a film career she's a very good comedian on camera and, and i don't uh, blame beanie for bowing out you know at this point it's hard to keep yeah why would she want to keep doing it if she, She's not wanted, yeah. So exactly. that's kind of my And take. she played it for a year and or, or close to a year. And, you know, she, she did it. She's a Broadway star. It's just that was a tough combination of casting and, and expectations. All right. People are, we so are running over time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we have one more, one more commercial. And then we get to the number one thing that made us go wow this week. You're listening to The Wow Report on Radio Randy. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. <laughs> Just leave All right, we are back. Something. It's the Wow Report. Blake tells us we are way, way over. Uh, our number one thing is number one. The Emmy Awards. They were the nominations for 2022 Woo! were uh, today. Yes. So we don't have no time. One reaction, one either like uh, thing you're excited about or somebody who was snubbed. Seth, do you have any opinions about the Emmy nominations from this? Um, congratulations to uh, uh, Pam and Tommy for being uh, what seems like a trashy uh, a show, but actually had some interesting depth to it. And I was surprised to see it get nominated for anything. So congrats to Pam and Tommy. That has the, the talking penis in it, correct? Yes, and everyone likes to dismiss it because of the talking penis, but it has a lot I of other don't, That's not me dismissing. That is me honoring. <laughs> How dare you? I'm just very excited that 
Your your face makes me sad. Your shoes are so are very poor. What is going on? Julia Garner for inventing Anna is my favorite show. Also, I'm excited about Jennifer Coolidge for White Lotus, um, Sydney Sweeney, uh, and um, uh, Shirley Ralph for A- Abbott Elementary. I'm very yeah. I love Shirley Ralph. There's yeah. some controversy about there being so much television that a lot of categories are flooded with, like, all of succession actors are together. All of the, you know, it's on and on. Oh, Jeremy and, Strong and Kieran Culkin. Yes, um, two, two of my favorites. And more and more. So, and, and, I w- and I was talking to RuPaul about that this morning. Hope he doesn't mind that I quote. And he said, you know what? Because there's so much television, so there's so much overlap, it's time to bring back the Cable Ace Awards. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 uh. Is that and a great that idea? Note, but the streamies or something. There're money to be made, Seth. This you you at the Hollywood Reporter, you can make this happen. We'll produce with your connections and our know-how. Really and, and we always we always that's like a standard joke. We're always like, "Mm, what smells like a Cable Ace award?" We're just like, that's our highest <laughs> achievement in life. All right. Well, congratulations to all the Emmy nominees. Maybe we'll talk more about you guys as the date approaches. Um it's uh, wonderful to come to you every week here. Uh, thank you, uh, Andy Cohen and Fenton Bailey, who's away today. Seth Abramowitz, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy day to uh, talk to us. James St. James, work. Oh, I'm going to give you some notes after this. I'm going to call you give you some notes of your performance today. Uh, Blake, <laughs> I love you. How dare you. Um, until next time, go out and do something that makes the world go wow. Wow. wow.